Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I second time trying to record it um do you want to introduce yourself sure um i'm siggy i'm siggy spencer um been a guest on podcast before and i'm very happy to be back uh, yeah. yeah you're you're a friend of the podcast technically yeah um but the reason I invited you on here today um, was to talk about fan fiction and Sims. And I don't know, I just said it so weirdly. <laughs> but uh, it's a weird topic. It is a weird topic. Yeah, fan fiction and Sims. Uh, what is your what's your experience with it? What's your history with both of those things? Mm, okay. So my history with both of those things runs very very deep into my adolescence. Um, Specifically with band fiction, honestly, I think I got into it when Twilight came out and Mm. I was like 11 or 12 when I started reading those books. And I read the books and then like a lot of people, I guess I wanted to read more of them, but there were no more. So I guess that's what made me turn to the internet. And I remember the first, um, I was never a Wattpad girl. I was always a fanfiction.net girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. Um, And yeah, I, I really just spent my entire adolescence and honestly beyond reading fanfiction, just 24 seven. Because um, I used to read every book I could find, but that stopped really abruptly when I was like 13. My parents couldn't really figure out why. And it's because I replaced my book addiction with reading fan fiction. Do you think it was like more comforting for you? Absolutely. Um, it's both um, The Sims and fan fiction. It's, it's all a form of escapism escape from, you know, the normal mundane everyday life, but not even that, just almost, I don't know. Uh, you can you know what? go on, go on. Oh, no, no, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, I just saw this tweet like earlier today that was like um, watching kids shows because then you don't have to perform any emotional labor. And it's like, it kind of reminds me of it as well. Right. Cause it's like the feeling of like not having to, um, deal with any like I don't know complicated emotions that can come from reading actual fiction or like engaging with any like um work with artistic merit because fan fiction like fundamentally some of it is really well written but I think in general it's kind of meant to be comforting like that's the baseline right because it's like the idea of it is that you get to like spend more time with your favorite characters or like you get to have a conclusion to the story you love that like is more aligned with your beliefs of how it should end like I think sort of the the idea of comfort is sort of implicit in fan fiction Absolutely. And I think that going along with the idea of comfort, one of the most popular tropes within fan fiction is 
hurt comfort, hurt slash comfort, in which you, you know, create a plot line in which a character is either physically or emotionally harmed in some way, and then have the story wrap up with them being comforted. That is one of the most common tropes in fan fiction. And I, I agree with you in that it is really all about comfort, but something that I find really interesting, and it's something I used to do as well. Um, and I feel like it's along the same lines of um, when you're already sad and you decide you want to listen to sad music to make it worse. A lot of people use, a lot of people use reading like this, you know, books like this, but people use fan fiction almost as a sort of self emotional self-harm. Like they'll intentionally choose stories with super upsetting subject matter in order to, I guess, artificially produce that emotional catharsis. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean, also like that thing that you said about like um, the fan fiction genre of like hurt comfort or whatever. Like I've never, I've never heard of that before because I was never, not that I've never read any fan fiction. I have obviously like, as, as you know, as like a teenager on the internet, but I was never that big into it. So it's like interesting to like, I don't know, get her like a insider perspective on it. <laughs> oh my God. To, to think that 12 year old me would never believe that I'm, I'm the insider on, on fan fiction in the sense that's, you know what? If I can make my childhood obsessions work for me in adulthood, wh- what can I say about that? That's great. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of like podcasting and the internet and stuff. You get to like in- intellectualize your like, I don't know, childhood pathologies <laughs> and make everyone listen to you do it. No, I, um, uh, yeah, I do too. I love it. But um, no, I, it's, yeah, no, it's interesting. I don't know. I think like I, I've also kind of discovered fan fiction through Twilight, I think, because we're the same age. So, like, I think for me, I remember I got a really bad concussion when I was in, like, third grade. And I had just gone to see one of the Twilight movies at the movie theater. And then I got that concussion and I couldn't, like, I couldn't go to school. I couldn't do anything and I couldn't be on the computer. And the only thing I could do was, like listen to audiobooks or like make my grandma read to me (laughs) so like that's how I read all the Twilight books um and then that was before the last movies came out so like I read like the the last two books and then I was like oh I want more and so I also like went online searching for it but I think I don't even remember if it was like Wattpad or like fanfiction.net or like what language I was reading it in but like I remember I read some like really um, pornographic fanfics about Twilight. (laughs) And then, and then like that scared me off for a really long time. And then like, it wasn't until I was like way older and I was like 12 or something that like, I read more of it through Tumblr and like, um, like the different fandoms that exist in there. What's your, um, what's your take on the whole fandom thing as well? Um, broad question, broad question, (laughs) (laughs) Um, sorry I'm a bit as I was saying earlier I'm a bit brain dead today so like the questions are broad (laughs) um okay so my my opinion on fandom in general um 
I think there's a place for pretty much everything that doesn't um, actively do harm to anyone. However, I feel like psychologically speaking, fandom in terms of like if we're talking about fandoms for fictional things, uh, fictional books, movies, etc., that is, I find that to be a lot less concerning than fandoms for real people. Because while my first introduction to fan fiction was through Twilight, one of the other things that I used to read that I no longer do, but I was very into One Direction, which uh, a lot of girls were very into One Direction. (laughs) And so I read a lot of One Direction fan fiction. And once I hit like, I don't know, 15, 14 or 15, I started to get really weirded out by the concept of it because I don't know I feel like I just started to gain an awareness of the world around me and that awareness told me that it it was kind of weird to treat real people as like like your your puppets um I, I think that's quite odd to the degree that it's taken uh especially in the the realms of k-pop and things like that it's it's just concerning because right? it just yeah it, it, it concerns me that's that's my general opinion i'm deeply concerned for the psychological well-being of the next generation <laughs> no but i you're right yeah because there is a lot of fan fiction about like real people like band members and stuff like um who were those like two british youtubers that everyone shipped oh dan and phil dan and yeah it's funny that they actually turned out to be gay and like together or whatever but i remember that was like a big thing on tumblr as well people like constantly ship them and yeah i i guess like i always thought it was kind of creepy but i never thought about it deeply but like when i was doing research for this episode like reading up and like i don't know the the theory of fan fiction you know like how basically it's the idea that you get to like embody the characters you like and then like take them into like different directions and like sort of live vicariously through them like that's sort of pathological in its own way but then to Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's fine. But um, that's kind of pathological in its own way. But like to try and body and re- like live vicariously through real people by putting them into fictionalized contexts, that's like a whole other level of like, you know, <laughs> creepy and obsessed. Yeah. I mean, I remember way before even getting started reading like physical like not physical but like fanfics in like written form they were on oh wait wait wait. there's a lot of noise again i think it's because you're moving too close to the microphone yeah i got i got too excited sorry (laughs) (laughs) it's okay just like keep it away from you (laughs) got too excited okay so even before fan fiction in, in that particular context it was very popular on youtube for people to create video fan fictions through different youtube videos but it was typically 
with real people. And I remember one of the first few that I watched were stories about like Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. And I remember I, because of one of those videos, I held a massive, massive grudge against this one actress that apparently, in quotes, came between them. She did not. But I, I was so mad. I, like, hated this actress for a good five to five years irrationally and then had to revisit the situation and think, wow, that wasn't real. None of that was real. You were 10 there's no reason to hold a grudge against this random actress. Like, it was, it's very strange. When you say visual fan fictions, like, do you mean, like, just, like, edit videos or? I mean, like, they would have pictures. Like, they like say it's a story. It's a Robston story. <laughs> Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. They'll, yeah. Like, when, Rob, when Robert Pattinson is supposed to be speaking, there will be a picture of him on screen. And when he's talking, then just like a black screen there'll be just words on the screen that he's supposed to have said it's just like it reads almost like like you're reading a script for a play that's how the mm. the dialogue uh, is presented and it's never n- those were never ever ever well written because those are always always done by 12 year old girls and so they were never well written but they were dramatic they were very <laughs> entertaining i will say that but very odd. I mean, it's interesting how, like, I, I guess that's the idea. Like, that's the old-fashioned idea of a celebrity, right? That it's, like, basically a character they get to, like, watch live their life. And sort of you, by definition, are supposed to be somewhat living vicariously through them. Like, if you think about, like, old gossip columns or whatever, right? Or, like, the creation of, like, old Hollywood celebrities where they would, like, you know, like, have, like, arranged marriages and stuff just to, like, have the idea of this celebrity live on in people's minds, like outside of their work. And like now, like the Hollywood machine doesn't even have to do that anymore. People sort of do it themselves. Like we got a hang of it. So like now it's like, yeah, there's like, um, like video edits or like, you know, TikTok edits or like, um, like, yeah, like fan fiction and stuff. It's funny because like now my sister was just showing it to me like earlier this morning, um, their edits of like the Ukrainian president and the French president. <laughs> and like people, apparently people like ship them. I mean, it's like, it's a joke, obviously, but it's also kind of not a joke. Yeah. It's Cause it's this really, <laughs> this, this really bizarre video of Macron, uh, the French president, like, like loosening his tie while he like stares at the camera and then his wife like comes behind him and like hugs him from behind it's like very french very sexual i don't know why that video exists but like people (laughs) but people are using it in like edits and stuff and like editing into like lana songs and it's it's very uh, (laughs) it's very concerning i'm very concerned but it's uh no it's funny how like fan fiction or like fandom behavior in general like functions on the internet yeah I mean it didn't I don't think it used to seem as creepy uh, in the olden days of celebrity but yeah because because like management and like promotional PR teams don't have to do that 
for celebrities anymore. Everything is just out there. That's what I feel like. That's why I feel like a line has almost been crossed in that before sure you would have a fantasy of this person or this character or whatever, but now the fantasy is so steeped in what's actually there. Like it, 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 the fantasy is getting too real. Like it, it just feels like a, a delusion at that point. You mean like that it's like, because it's like constantly, like you're constantly consuming that content. So it's like yeah. literally like surrounds you. Yeah. I guess exactly. that makes sense. It's just, I, I don't know. I mean, all that, like, you know, Robert Pattinson was just in Batman and there's so much like Robert Pattinson content out there. And there are all these like people like shipping him and Zoe Kravitz and stuff. It's like, <laughs> I guess that's like really relevant to guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, to a degree that is definitely purposeful, but I don't know. I feel like people still really fall for that formula of like just because I, I saw so many so many tweets of people saying like if I was um Suki Waterhouse or Channing Tatum I would be so upset it's like they buy into the fantasy of it so much that they can't conceptually they, can, they can't conceptualize a reality where uh it isn't reality I guess I don't know <laughs> Right, but I mean, like, the idea of people, like, acting, like, acting in love on screen and then not being in love in real life, it's, like, obviously, we, like, intellectually understand that that's possible, but I think at an emotional level, it's really hard to grasp that. It's kind of like everyone understands that advertisement is, like, fake, right? Like, we all know that ads are fake, but still, like, when you see a good ad, you want to buy the product, like, this is how it works. So I think it's, like it's very stupid. I think even people like tweeting about it know it's stupid, but then you can't control yourself. It's like, I don't know, but I, I just think it's really interesting how like the, cause that makes me think of, you know, that fanfic like after or whatever, they got turned into like a book series and like a movie and stuff. And it was originally about Harry Styles. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like, it's just so like fascinating to me how like you can just create completely alternate universes with fan fiction as well. Like that oh that that's something that I actually never quite understood, like the AU genre of fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like like for example, to like bring it back to Twilight or whatever, like Fifty Shades of Grey was originally like an AU fanfic about mm-hmm. Twilight, right? And it's like, how, like, at what point does it stop being like a fanfic and becomes a completely original story that just like used some qualities that were present in the characters of the original story? Like, because I think the line is very thin, right? Like, there's barely any. I definitely agree with that. There, There is a very thin line in that particular situation, but. I think it's more, it's, I feel, I really do feel like it's less about the individual characters being mimicked and being put in different situations, more so their dynamics. And the reason why I feel that way is because of the success of the show SCOM and its further iterations. For anyone who doesn't know what SCOM is, it was this uh, Norwegian teen TV show that came out a few years ago um, and it 
got really popular um, during its the run of its third season because of um, the characters that it uh, centered around, uh, and because it got so popular, um, like worldwide, it the the creator of the show sort of sold the rights to. Um, different production companies in different countries and each one each country kind of created their own version of the tv show with which is is very strange because i i kind of see it almost as each one as fan fiction of the original show which i think is very interesting um true yeah yeah you're right yeah it is totally a fanfic of the original show (laughs) And so that's, that's so interesting. Yeah. I never thought of that. <laughs> and it, all of the all of its successors were very, very successful. And in the third season specifically, it's in the in the original version, it's the characters uh Isaac and Evan. And in each iteration, they have different characters that embody those same archetypes and it's the almost the exact same storyline again and again, just altered by the different cultural connotations of being in different parts of the world. So, yeah. That's so it's funny because like I watched edits of them without ever having seen the show. Like I watched the show after it, but like the reason I found out about the show was because that couple was so popular. And like, I watched literally probably like, tens of like tens of maybe even hundreds of edits about that couple before I watched the show because I was like oh this dynamic is really interesting and you know how like all straight girls can have a thing for like pretty young gay guys yeah <laughs> like especially when they're like in a couple like that's a thing like not even in a sexual way it's, it's like a weird like maternal I don't know instinct whatever but like I mean I guess for some people it is sexual if you think about like all the fanfics that get written about like Mia characters and it's all like smut and stuff but like I, I don't know it's just like yeah and then you're I didn't watch any of the other alternate universe scam remakes but like I did know that there were like yeah like in, I think in like Germany or something had like a lesbian couple and then like in Italy it was like like two gay guys again like yeah it's really weird it is totally like a fan thing it's just like we got to like you know have a budget and film it but it's basically like every country just got to like write their own fan fiction about this Norwegian show yeah and like watch it <laughs> I think that's pretty amazing that's kind of like the dream for anyone who starts off like creating through that that particular avenue that's just like yeah no it's true it's funny though because like fan fiction is still totally frowned upon I mean like I talk shit about it all the time I think it's like horrible but also at the same time like it like it literally like rots your brain but at the same time like the majority of like money and stuff in like writing now is in like fan fiction YA kind of kind of writing like, I don't know, I sometimes I like randomly get recommended like writers on Instagram who are like fan fiction writers turned YA authors who sign like half million dollar like book deals and they get to like live in New York and like write their little fantasy books. Like it's it's crazy, but it's like a huge industry. I feel like way more books that we think of as not not necessarily classics, but 
almost household names in in culture. I feel like a lot more of them probably started off as fan fiction than we realize. Because it's very, it's actually very easy to write fan fiction and just change the names and pass it off as, as something else. I've seen that happen like more times than I can count throughout the years. I've seen authors of fan fiction write really, really, really good stories. Not even, not even things that can be classified as YA, just like things that, in my opinion, genuinely, genuinely, the quality of it rivals some of the published books, most of the published books that I've read. And all you have, all they really have to do is they change the names and get it published and then delete the actual fan fiction off of the internet. I've seen that happen so many times. And I just wonder how many times that's happened almost before kind of the age of the internet. I mean, I guess quite a lot, right? Because it's a well-known fact that like a lot of, like, yeah, as you said, like a lot of classic books were like based, I don't know, like on Shakespeare plays or whatever, or like, you know, like Greek myths and stuff where you, yeah, you basically take the story, you put it in a different context, you like rename the characters or even like have the, the names of your characters like reference the actual like names in the original story and stuff. And it's like, yeah, and then you get it published. I think it's just like, I think the reason why, fan fiction especially like internet-based fan fiction like fan fiction that gets written on the internet feels very different from like that kind of stuff is because a lot of it is because there's such a big quantity of it like there's so much fan fiction on the internet like you go on Wattpad it's insane and like it gets updated every day and they're like like literally like millions of stories there and the majority of them are really bad so it's like you can't really like the context of the thing itself changes the way you perceive the actual object yeah and it's like even like something like 50 shades of gray right like a book that sold like what like 100 million copies in the world like you don't even have to talk about like the actual like quality of the writing but the fact that it was so effective and like triggering something in people and has become so successful like that says something about the story but like it will never be looked at in in a good light because of its history, like because it was originally a Twilight fanfic. Um, I agree with you on that. That's that's very true in that, yeah, it, it really is hard to see fan fiction as uh, uh, positive overall, because you're right, most, most of the stories are terrible. <laughs> most of the stories are absolute trash. And not only are, there, are they trash, they're very... A lot of them tend to be self-indulgent mm. and in a way it's that a description yeah, self-indulgent in a way that isn't almost isn't once it becomes self-indulgent in a way that is no longer relatable to a wider audience. I feel like that's where because that's where the, the concept of uh, the self-insert character came from. That's what a lot of people considered uh, uh Bella Swan to be for Stephanie Meyer, the author of Twilight. They because Bella was such a uh, not so I don't know. She didn't have quite so much personality. I'll say that she she was a blank slate that one could project themselves onto. People called her a self insert character, a Mary Sue, which is kind of the formula 
that people are able to utilize to get that large of an audience. Right. I mean, again, it's like going back to the idea of comfort, right? Because then you can like, yeah, insert yourself into the story and be like, oh, you know, like, and it like, it's, it's satisfying because it's so comforting. It's kind of like, I mean, that's what kind of like Netflix shows and like a lot of like those straight to streaming content is now, right. As well. Like it's just made specifically for comfort. It's like, comfort movies and comfort shows it's like meant for binging meant to be consumed in large quantities and largely for the most part forgotten like it's supposed to satisfy an urge and then you're supposed to move on from it and it's the way like fan fiction works as well where it's like you know like yeah you watched a movie and you were like left unsatisfied by its ending so you go online you search up like a fanfic about it and you read it and you're like okay this is a better ending in my head so like I feel satisfied now and I no longer have to think about it like it's sort of the idea of comfort content in general, I think is meant to take away um, the power that art can have on your psyche. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe it sounds too dramatic, like the way I say it, but it's like, it's supposed to, cause a lot of like, it takes away the idea of a creative and artistic license from the creators of any particular show or movie or book because when like an author or a creator creates something they want the thing that they create to have a particular effect on you but by having the possibility to go online and you know satisfy yourself in that way like you're no longer looking on that at that thing in a vacuum that you're supposed to look at it in I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you make perfect sense. I, I absolutely see what you're saying. And I absolutely do. I do agree with that to, to a degree. I, I think that, um, that, that, that authorial intent is something that once you release your content to the public, there is however you mean for the art to be interpreted it will never, ever, ever strike you the same way that it strikes someone else. So I'm honestly kind of of the opinion that to a certain degree, authorial intent almost doesn't matter. It does matter. It absolutely matters in understanding the context of a work if that is your goal. However, in terms of being able to control the way that the consumer sees your work I think is impossible at the end of the day because to a certain degree it will always be out of your hands at that point no no no. I think you're right like I'm not saying that like any artist creator whatever director has the right to demand for their work to be seen in any particular light I think it's more like I think it's actually like in the long term, I think that's bad for the audience because you don't like you don't get to sit with the effect that a particular work has on you because the moment you feel discomfort from it, you like run online, you, you know, you Google it, you read a fanfic about it. Not that everybody does it, but a certain like demographic does. And you get to like sort of take away again any discomfort that you might have felt when you watched that piece of work or when you engage with that in any way so it's like you like I think it's fundamentally changing the way that we engage 
with art and content because you're you're right (laughs) it like it it like democratized art like in a bad way like art shouldn't be democratized so like now that it kind of did that in a way like yeah it's taking away like the the pleasure and the discomfort of like having to actually like sit with your thoughts instead of like trying to run away from them when it comes to like engaging with yeah like art and content online but I think yeah but I think like but I think when it comes to like self-insertion stories or whatever I think that's a bit different because it's more about like I find that particularly fascinating because like the idea is that you like the universe or like the world created in like in a particular I don't know story or a piece of art so much that you yourself want to be a part of it and that kind of also makes me think of like um all those like ambience videos on YouTube that are like twilight ambience or like you know like I don't know silent hill ambience where you get to like just watch it on YouTube while you like read a book or whatever and you feel like you're kind of like part of it (laughs) Like, I don't know. I used to listen to those things a lot. Like, just, like, ambient ambient sounds associated with one universe or the other. And, like, I didn't really, like, put the two together until now. But it's, like, it, it is kind of a similar impulse, I think, where you like the comfort of that world so much. Absolutely. Yeah, that kind of it reminds... I feel like that might have been, like, a, a, the rabbit hole down to... Um, I almost forgotten what it's called at this point but the um that that reality shifting thing that became popular oh god the start of the pandemic people (laughs) believing that they could um psychically shift into the universes of their favorite characters and essentially map out the plot line of what they wanted to happen in in the dream in the the you know, <laughs> astral projection, which is what they were essentially trying to achieve, astral projection. But like, it's like the South Park universe or some shit. Um, which is that fine. was such a that was such a particularly schizophrenic moment, though. Like, I rem- I remember watching them on TikTok, and I was like shifting into the I don't know Slytherin common room, and I was just like, like, oh, what? y'all got schizophrenia, okay. <laughs> Yeah, like, damn, this is like like some mental hospital shit. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're shifting? <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're right. It was a bunch of, like, kids locked in their rooms, locked in their houses across <laughs> the entire world, being like, I can escape from here in my head. Like, that. that is, that is delusion. That is, that is illness. <laughs> Yeah, that is literally the definition of a delusion. I mean, also, I guess to a certain extent, it's just called having an imagination. Like, kids are supposed to. I mean, when kids, like, play with toys, I guess they they also, like, delude themselves into thinking that it's, like, a real thing or whatever. But it's a bit creepier when it's, like, a 12-year-old with with an iPhone doing it publicly on TikTok. It's a little creepier when it's a full-ass grown adult. That is when we need to start, you know... Need to start doing welfare checks. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, no, it is. It's very, it's very concerning. Again, this is like a very. Uh, the tone of this episode is very uh, concerned. <laughs> We're just like concerned deeply about the whole concerned. thing. I'm deeply concerned. No, it's uh, no, it is crazy. But, <laughs> but um, 
but then I I guess that's a that's a good time to bring up uh, the other thing that I want to talk about since. Yeah. Um, and like the reason I, I think the two are connected is because, well, first of all, there are a lot of like edits or like mini like fanfic movies, not even fanfic movies. Like people have remade like Twilight in Sims <laughs> and posted it on YouTube. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, what's what's your history? What's your um, what's your experience with it? <laughs> well, much like my history with fan fiction, my history with The Sims is long and illustrious, truly. Um, I think I started playing The Sims when I was like, you know what? Yeah, now that we talk about it, I, I feel like this is almost like a little therapy session for me because that I think about it. I started reading fan fiction and playing The Sims around the same time. Mm. And um, both I feel like are connected in both positive and negative ways. Um, Both um, are very excellent avenues of exercising the imagination and storytelling, but they are both uh, forms of escapism. Uh, The Sims in an entirely different way than fan fiction is a form of escapism. The way that Sims is a form of escapism is like, it's literally a life simulation game and I've honestly lost hundreds if not no no no, thousands of hours of my life to playing the Sims and that is so shameful but it's also just the truth because literally the little uh, origin the little startup menu it shows you how many hours you've dedicated to playing the Sims and it is truly obscene truly <laughs> but it's just Sims 4, right? Like what what was the version of Sims that you started with? I started with The Sims 3 because that came out uh, I want to say 2009. Um mm-hmm. uh and that game is I find The Sims 2, 3 and 4 and The Sims 1, but that came out the year I was literally born, so I really don't have any, you know, skin of the game with that one but I've played the sims 2 I played the sims 3 I played the sims 4 I find the sims 4 to be an entirely different ball game in terms of the level of realism that one can inject into the game with different mods that can be downloaded so like it's a life simulation game but it in and of itself like it's it's like they're cartoons like the some of the stuff they do is cartoonish so it doesn't feel you know so real like the immersion isn't all there but the fact that there are so many so many mods that you can put into your game to make it feel scarily realistic I've, I've really just lost way too many hours of my life playing with these very realistic aspects of the game. I don't know. What do you usually, like, what, how do you usually structure the game for yourself? Because, like, for me, for example, I just, like, make the character, build them a house, um, like, I don't know, 
make them get pregnant and then I like drown them in the pool. Like that's all I do pretty much. Like I, I don't think I've ever like wanted anything else from Sims. Like that was always kind of enough for me. And like, sometimes I would like, I don't know, um, use like a cheat code or something to like make them the president. And then I just get bored. Like I've never like actually like, I don't know, like um, had like a generational family thing going on or like any of that stuff. But I know a lot of people like actually like, playing the sims without the cheat codes where they like just start from scratch and then they like build an empire just like by using the simulation itself what kind of what kind of player are you <laughs> <laughs> um well i i feel like you can tell a lot about a person from their their preferred play style um a lot of people are family simmers i hate that i just said that okay <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm just going to have to (laughs) embrace this. A lot of people are family servers, which means they just like to uh, do gameplay with uh, big families, small families, whatever, just like play through the mundane everyday life of a family. Some people are more occult similars. They like to play with the uh, mermaids, the werewolves. Oh, wait, there are no werewolves in Sims 4. That's Sims 3. But the mermaids, the vampires, the aliens, the witches, that's, you know, all in Sims 4. Um, I used to, my, my gameplay style has changed recently. I was never someone who could do, go through multiple generations of a family. I, my attention span was not that long, was not, yeah. So I, I really always just made very pretty single female sims and I would make them very creative and smart and then I would give them lots of money and then have them become actresses or some sort of you know fame or whatever and then I would often play through different storylines in my head I remember one that I played through was like one that I played through with some mods that was absolutely insane there's one mod that's that adds realistic violence um to the game which really opens up a lot of storytelling avenues um and i'll be honest what i'm about to tell you i did this recently on the sims 4 and i just thought (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was so funny and i thought it was so interesting how of course i have the storyline of how i want things to go in my head but with the different mods and stuff I have on the game, sometimes it's going to take its own, it's going to have a mind of its own. So what I did was I decided I wanted to have like a horror storyline with a serial killer. <laughs> so I decided that I was going to make this really creepy looking dude and I was going to put him in a house and I was going to go in and gut the house, like take all the furniture out and put a basement in in the house um, with a door that only he has the key to. And in that basement, this is so sick. <laughs> that basement. <laughs> no, I mean, continue, please. <laughs> in that basement, I had, I think it was 15 different uh, cells, essentially, with beds. And I abducted 15 sims and put them in those cells. And what I did was there's within the violence mod, um, 
because of that mod and with uh, one of the Sims for expansion packs, uh, the different seasons, you have the ability, you have a, a game feature that's a calendar and you have the ability, the ability to create custom holidays with different uh, celebratory traditions. And so one of the holidays that comes with the extreme violence mod is essentially what, what is the purge? It, it's like a murder holiday. And so what I did was I had like a camera installed like in that, on that floor. And once they all woke up, the next day was set to be the purge. And I said to myself that I would let the person, the last one standing, I would let them out. And so I literally watched as they all systematically murdered each other. And there was one girl who she, she was the last one standing. And so something happened to where like, she managed to open the door, went upstairs while the guy who set everything up was sleeping. She kills him in his sleep. She escapes. And I had her get like full plastic surgery and like change her name, move to a different town and try and live a new life. And then it was really interesting because she would have to, I had her living this like new sugar baby-esque like fantasy life, but occasionally she would be visited by the ghosts of the people she had to kill to get out (laughs) the containment area thing. And yeah, I just thought that was like a fun little story. I got to tell Um, I'm I'm really happy that all of my listeners just got to listen to this as well. Um, beautiful. Um, truly. Um, I I I don't know where we're going with this, but um, no, I mean it's great how The Sims allows uh, people's creativity to like flourish like that. Storytelling. That's storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling. That's actually really, yeah, no, it's interesting. I really like how you, um, I really like how you uh, pointed out that like a lot of the stuff that you kind of imagine for the Sims are just, is just in your head. Right. Like, I think that's part of the game plan for a lot of people where it's like, yeah, sure. You can like play out certain things, but like, even when you like create a character, you like create a backstory for them in your head while you're creating them. So it's kind of like, it is a very creative process. <laughs> like playing The Sims, yeah. I feel like a lot it's of- an excellent tool for like world building. If you're trying to write your own actual book, I, I feel like it's an excellent tool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually very true. I remember when I was a kid and I actually had Sims 1. Um, cause I don't know, like, I mean, we're the same age, like came out in 2000. I don't know why I had the game, but I remember I had it when I was like five or something and Sims two was already out. I remember and I really desperately wanted it, but I had the first one and I remember it had like a fairy expansion pack or something. And I remember my friend and I, um, my childhood best friend, like we would hang out by the computer and we would like write little books about mermaids and like fairies and stuff. And then we would like reenact it in Sims with the, like the fairy expansion pack. So like, um, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with this, but this is just like something I used to do. 
And it made a lot of sense at the time because it was like you're writing it down, like you're writing your little book, but then you also kind of like make a movie of it on the screen. And I remember like um, when I was a bit older, like maybe like eight or nine or something and like Sims 3 had come out and I would like watch these like basically like shows that people would make off Sims on YouTube. And those weren't even like fanfic stories. Those were like original, you know, storylines and like involved at like teen pregnancies and boarding schools and like shit like that. And I would like watch them and be like, oh, that's so cool. Like I should make something like that. And then I would just like, and then I just never did. But it always seemed really fascinating to me that people like, people like put so much time into like their Sims storylines. Like they're straight up like hours and hours of like, original storytelling like original like basically tv shows on youtube just like using the sims it's actually really like wait sorry go for it carry on no 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 i was just gonna say that it's really interesting how like i was um like the i sent you like a bunch of like research papers articles um like about the sims and stuff and like how it like i don't know plays into the idea of like postmodernism and like life simulations or whatever. And like, it's really funny how like none of those research papers kind of look at the Sims as, um, yeah, as a storytelling tool, but rather they like try to look at it as a life simulation and like a game. Like there's this one that, um, that I found really funny, like, um, in one of the research papers, they have like three different case studies because the person like doing the research is trying to figure out how, um, like how it plays weight. I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm just going to read it out. Family values, ideology, computer games, and the Sims. And it's basically, they're trying to like research how, um, how the Sims as a life simulation game, um, like whether it's more equal or less equal than real life or like real society. And they have like three different case studies. Uh, one is like about equality and gender. One is about like homosexuality. One is literally called the Kurt Cobain refutation. I can't even pronounce that word. Basically they like created a Kurt Cobain character in the Sims and, um, try to like see how misfits are treated in the Sims universe. And like, it went really horribly for them because like the game is not meant for that. So um, the conclusion that they came to with that research was that basically like misfits can't exist in this sense. Right. And there's this one really great line um, that goes like this. Um, I discovered myself struggling with the sim. He refused to play guitar or watch TV. He wanted to have friends, a job to be nice to, uh, to be nice to his wife. He wanted the life that Kirk Cobain parodied in his songs. Explanation mark. <laughs> That is just so, so funny to me in so many ways. But the funniest part to me is the, like, genuine fundamental misunderstanding of the game itself as a quote-unquote life simulation. (laughs) Like, these, like, the AI in in these games is is shit. Like, it's not, (laughs) it's not what people think it is, I think. Yeah, or, like, the AI doesn't even do anything. I mean, people don't play the game for the AI. They play the game because, like, of all the things that we mentioned before, like, no one is, like, there, like, oh, I wonder what the, the Sims AI is going to do to my Sim. And so I'm going to, like, do my research. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like 
along with it being because I feel like yeah like it's it is a life simulation game but especially talking about The Sims 4 as a life simulation game in comparison to the previous installments of it The Sims 4 The Sims as a franchise was effectively in my opinion neutered with the uh, fourth installment of it because it everything that it, it was it was it was disneyfied essentially that that's that's the word i was looking for they disneyfied the sims and so that like i don't know that looking for you know is everyone going to be equal in the sims based on race gender and it, absolutely obviously because they started to market it as a as a kids game and so that's effectively taken out a lot of the quote-unquote realism um because in previous games they were more chaotic like more terrible shit could happen to your sim just without you doing anything and that is definitely a marked difference in the most recent installment interesting yeah because i remember in like the sims 3 or something like your character would just like spontaneously die sometimes and like death would show up and like a little like black like cape and whatever and just like hang out around the house (laughs) like yeah like horrible things just happen to your sims all the time and in sims 4 it's just kind of like yeah everything is just like equal and nice and good and it's also like I, i don't know actually if that still exists in sims 4 or not but like in sims 3 i remember there was um there was this whole like because they were like different like generational families already installed in the game right and you could kind of play as them as well and there was like a goth family there was like the Romeo and Juliet characters um and like a lot of like sort of like the mythos of the game was already like already came with the game and like there was a lot of tragedy in it absolutely the that's that's honestly what is so soulless about The Sims 4 compared to The Sims 2, Sims 3, The First Sims, because of that lore, that lore that was just so... And The Sims lore is so interesting. There are quite a few YouTube videos about the the lore that is in the games. And I feel like that quality has been stripped from The Sims 4. And that, I don't know, it, I think they may have intended to make it more of like a blank slate for people to project onto with their storylines and to make it more accessible to people. But I feel like they've kind of missed the mark on that um, in the, and they've gotten rid of a lot of the personality of the game, I think. But then that kind of what makes it interesting as a life simulator more, right? Because now it's basically you get like a blank slate completely there. Like there isn't anything because I remember like the Sims 3 as well. There was um, it wasn't really an expansion pack, but um, like see like Sims Medieval Times or something it was called. And that was basically like a straight up computer game where you had like little assignments and stuff. But it was like the characters. (laughs) 
I I had it like when I was like in elementary school and I loved that game because it was like like the Sims carry like the characters look like the Sims like the Sims 3 game but like you had like actual assignments and like it basically like it was kind of like a simulator of medieval times but like you also like had actual like storylines already installed in the game so it didn't quite feel like a simulator simulator but then like with Sims 4 yeah it is completely like a blank slate where you get to just like reenact your um, I don't know, wildest fantasies. <laughs> yeah. I actually found out that there's there's a reason for that. There's a reason why The Sims 4 is so different in that particular regard. It found out that the EA, the company that produces uh, The Sims and quite a few other games, they initially, The Sims 4 was not meant to be another installment of The Sims. It was supposed to be called uh olympus or some something like that olympus something and it was meant to be an online multiplayer game and that is how it started out and the reason why it never panned out in that way is because they tried to do the same thing with sim cities i i believe and it failed completely it it tanked so badly because of the the multiplayer aspect trying to bring that online was just too much it just didn't function properly and no one it just wasn't enjoyable for people um and so because of those um integral aspects of the game the fact that it was initially meant to be multiplayer it wasn't meant to be online it explains a lot of the more restrictive aspects of the game in comparison to previous installments Um, Like in The Sims 4, for instance, um, you live in different in different worlds, different little neighborhoods. And in The Sims 4, you only get, I'd say it it ranges from the different kinds of worlds, but you get eight to ten, not eight to ten, eight to twenty lots to build on. And you cannot edit those lots outside of the parameters that you're given and when you it's not open world uh each you have to go through a different loading screen every time you want to go to a different place now which makes a lot of sense if you are trying to have a game online and you don't think computers could run you know something open world online like that so that's a big reason why a lot of the more fun aspects of the game have changed. You know what I think is really interesting about like both fan fiction and um, like the Sims or like, I was going to say, or like any other like life simulator game, which there are none <laughs> that compared to the Sims. But like, I think it's really interesting how basically, again, like sort of democratized storytelling where because both of those like genres don't really require genres or like types of storytelling, whatever, don't really require any particular skills. Like, sure, you kind of have to know how to like string a sentence together to write fan fiction. But at the end of the day, like there is no standard for the kind of stuff that can be published. Like it's a free for all. Anyone can publish fan fiction. It's the same with Sims. Like you don't actually like need to like, I don't know, know what you're doing to like create a story like in the game itself. So it's kind of like, it allows anyone to 
yeah, like, I don't know, reenact their wildest desires without any like skills necessary. That's why it's such a good storytelling tool. I feel like, I think honestly, it should be used in schools with children who may have um, social developmental delays and they aren't sure about certain social cues. Sims could be an interesting, very straightforward way to understand, you know, what to do in a conversation. Or um, I guess more so along the lines of um, architecture, I feel like that could be, I don't know. I just feel like it's an underutilized tool. No, I actually agree with you. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of, like, there's a lot more uses for The Sims than we're, like, using it for, you know? Like, like, even for, like, storyboarding or, like, any, like, any, like, that kind of stuff is definitely super helpful. I just think it's, like, I think it's just really interesting how, like, um, now there's basically no sort of base level of skill that's required for being a storyteller like becoming a storyteller like another thing that makes me think of is like you know all those bizarre tiktoks of people who like basically like like make like short movies of themselves it always has like a really bizarre storyline where it's always like dystopian fiction or something and it's just like this person like changing their facial expressions in front of a camera and yeah. like there, there would be like like a weird like like a text box or whatever that like says something different that's like uh, i don't know like uh in a, like uh, it doesn't even it doesn't even give you a context usually i, I feel just, like, like i know exactly uh, who you're talking about it's like there's this one girl with like she yeah, looks like a <laughs> like she looks like her two characters really like blonde hair and she's yeah, always she's like British. Uh, I didn't know she was British. I've only ever yeah. seen like stuff of hers on like Twitter or whatever. But it's like she'll be like standing in front of like in front of her phone and she's like pretending to be like someone who's like sacrificing themselves for like I don't know for their family like in this like dystopian society that like I don't know requires requires all people to like die at fifty or something like it's just like oh bizarre storylines that make no sense and it's like. <laughs> And it's like you like you don't even need a budget for it. You don't need anything. Like storytelling like doesn't require anything anymore. This is true. <laughs> but like I know exactly who you're talking about because <laughs> her video, it was um she she somehow gained the the mystical ability to be able to hear the thoughts of the people around her. I remember what it was. Yeah, I know which video and, like, you're talking about. She walked about. past her boyfriend, and the boyfriend was like, "Like he like slept with her sister, and like this and that, and this and that." And then finally, like the last one, she got to this guy, and oh no, no, it was like if someone said something to her, she would immediately know if it was a lie, and she would know the real, like she would immediately know the truth. And so there was like the last one was like this guy. She found out this guy was in love with her. That was like the cliffhanger. It's I feel like that with like Dar Man. You know, you know who Dar Man is? No, I don't wait. Okay, so Dar Man, he makes these YouTube videos and they they almost function like uh educational videos that you'd be shown in school on like what not to do in certain situations. It, it almost takes the tone of um 
Oh, do you know the uh, the news? It's it's a, a new, the show that was on the news. Uh, what would you do? I, uh, John Kenyon with John Kenyonis, and they would essentially put people in different social situations. Oh yeah, I know what you're react. talking about. Yeah. yeah, and it, I feel like Darman kind of takes that and fictionalizes it completely, but it it's so funny because his his work has taken on a very particular very unique style it's it's just so like overt so like like not not just like holding your hand through a plot line like literally explaining everything to you as if you cannot it's it's not even like made for children it just it's made to get your attention and that's what it does I find it really interesting. It's like truly like a postmodern storytelling where it's like it's just like these bizarre like um like um disconnected, disjointed storylines that like start with like in the middle of the story and end with a cliffhanger and then there's like no continuation whatsoever. And it's all like bizarrely like dystopian or like, you know, like sci-fi or like has this like bizarre undertone of like um self-sacrifice or whatever. Like I, I just I'm truly fascinated by it. I'm amazed. Like I'm amazed at people like, you know, are that brave <laughs> to like be putting that out there. Absolutely. I think you're right about that. It takes like a, either a level of uh, bravery or shamelessness or lack of self-awareness or abundance of self-awareness, <laughs> whichever <laughs> it may be. Um, it's, it's very interesting. That also just makes me think of the fact that, like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, all of us, like, cultural appreciators or whatever, like, people, you know, like, who are into, like, art and culture, like, online, like, there's a lot of, like, online niches that are, like, dedicated to it now and stuff, like, that we are all, like, so hung up in the idea that, like, oh, like, you know, like, you either have to, like, write a book or, like, make a movie to, like, you know, be, like, like, a true artist or whatever, unless you're, like, a painter or something, but, like, truly, like, those people, like, making TikToks are like artists as well. And I don't mean this in like a post-ironic way. Like I mean this quite literary. Like they're they're artists. <laughs> Very creative. <laughs> I agree with you on that. Like I feel like I don't know, like to a degree, of course, some of these things may feel, I don't know. I feel like it, it takes a lot more skill like very niche skill like it's a very niche skill set to be able to (laughs) do that and do it well and I I guess well is is subjective but (laughs) you know what I mean to effectively do present that particular uh kind of storytelling It, it almost feels like um how in newspapers people would they would have like writing contests it's like uh, send in your uh, your 15-word story to the Reader's Digest. And, like, that's essentially what it amounts to, like a 15-word story that they're able to stretch out over the course of three to five minutes. It's very, it's very interesting. 
<laughs> no, it is a very niche skill set, but I think when it comes to like um, storytelling of any kind or whatever, I, I feel like I've said the word storytelling like a billion times now. But like, it is always a niche skill set. Like, you know, like people who like work in the film industry or whatever, like the majority, unless you're like a director, or writer, or whatever, like the thing you're doing is very niche. Like cameramen or like you know, like um, I don't know, cinematographers or whatever. Those are really niche skills as well, where you can't really apply it to anything else but I think I, I find it really interesting that despite the world having changed so much in like the last 20 years or so we're still so hung up on the idea that old art forms or like old forms or media are the only legitimate art forms there are and like I mean and like you know like there not that there, there aren't like there's still like good movies being made or whatever rarely but still but I think that like I mean, like the definition of postmodern art is that it like unselfconsciously works within the context of a society that it is produced in. And like, I think we're so desperately trying to find something that exists outside of the society because we're so sick of it. <laughs> but then we also also constantly complain about the fact that everything is like pastiche or like a homage to something. But then like, you can't really like make something in a vacuum anymore. Or like in, in a way that I think where I'm trying to go with this is that like, I think people who make, who make up little stories on TikTok, like that kind of storytelling and that kind of like content production and consumption just makes a lot more sense for the world that we live in. And so to be expecting like the same level of, the same rate of like good movies or books and stuff to be coming out in an age where the majority of people like don't engage with those outdated art forms anymore. I think it's very bizarre. <laughs> like it's very sad, obviously. Like I'm sad about it too, but I just, I think I'm like trying to like slowly come to terms with the fact that like, that's just not ever going to happen again. Cause it just like can't exist in the context of like the media landscape that we live in today. And I think so trying to outrun that and instead of like, I think, I think the way to go is to find a way to aestheticize and or like utilize the media formats that we have now instead of trying to like cling to old ones so desperately this this just sounded like my manifesto or whatever but like I don't know it's just something I've been thinking about well, that makes a lot of sense and someone who I feel like has been able to do exactly what you're saying masterfully um the Instagram account um hold on let me let me make sure make sure I'm going to say the right thing. Um, yeah, the Instagram account Bodiless Organs mm -hmm. has, in my opinion, has brought uh, political, social, cultural theory to the forefront of the minds of uh, people, you know, in the digital age in a way that isn't intimidating to them by, like, putting it in the format of a meme, I feel like they've kind of changed the game in that way. Um, I'm not sure what the long lasting effect will be if the only way that anyone, uh, you know, in, takes in any kind of information like that is through the form of a meme. But I think that, you know, that's something that they did masterfully, I think. 
Well, I think it's better if people take in that kind of information through a form of meme rather than we completely get rid of any attempts to like spread that information. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it's better. I, I think it's better to dumb down the information so that po- more people get it rather than trying to like gatekeep it and like not talk about it or like spread it in any way. Like, I mean, there are a lot of, I'm not a huge fan of like theory Instagram in general. I think for the most part, it's like very like catty and stupid and they like have their own internal fights all the time, which are very bizarre. But like, I, but like still, but a lot of people like on that side of Instagram are doing interesting things. And I mean, I don't know. I just think that like maybe for the first time in a really long time, I'm feeling kind of optimistic about the way that like the media landscape is looking. Like, I think I let go of any attempts to like, I don't know, cling on to old forms. Like I, I don't care if I like, I don't know, get a book published anymore or even, or even if I want to, because it's like, I mean, I could, if I wanted to, but like, who would even read it? <laughs> you know, a like, lot of people would read your book. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, no, I mean they, they would, but I mean it wouldn't like have the same effect that it would have had like twenty years ago. You know, like now you can like make a meme and like put it on the internet, and it's gonna have much more of an effect than like anything. You know, anything that you put like two years of your life into not that you shouldn't put in the work is that something you want but like I think expecting it expecting the same sort of recognition that you would have gotten in the past from the people in the present is just really bizarre like I had that moment um like a couple of years ago when I um I was constantly like thinking of like just I would have these like snippets of thoughts <laughs> like that sounded like little extracts from like um articles or whatever and sometimes I would like write them down I'd be like oh like I have to like I have this idea I have this like con- like I, I don't know I have this uh, concept in my head now like I have to like research it and like write an article about it and then I discovered Twitter and I was like I don't need I don't actually need to do that I can literally just put that little snippet on Twitter and way more people are going to engage with it than like if I were to actually write like a whole dissertation about it so I I just think that like I guess it's kind of the same with like fan fiction or like any of that stuff where it's like sure you could like I'm sure that a lot of people writing those recognize that they could write like full-on books and novels and stuff and like do it that way but then why would you make the process harder for yourself and you can make it easier. And then chances are actually more people are going to engage with it anyway. This is very true. Yeah. I, I, you're very right about that in that there, I have seen quite a few people on Twitter who have like accounts that are meant to be parody accounts, but not, parodying any particular person just like maybe an archetype or a stereotype and some of the tweets that they release are so funny but at some seems so like masterful in the way that they execute their humor um in the way that it's so consistent with the character that they've created with uh these various accounts. I don't know. Um, yeah, I find it to be 
yeah gosh you just really brought up like just a really good point with that in the way that art forms are changing and yeah it, it really is short form fan fiction or short form fiction or nonfiction. yeah that was a really good point Thank you. <laughs> I try. <laughs> no, but I, I just think that like, um, it's interesting you bring up like, yeah, like parody or like gimmick accounts or whatever, because that also just makes me think of like role play, like writing exercises. Like I've gone to so many like writing workshops where they like make you do like role play writing. <laughs> and it's always like so uncomfortable and bizarre for everyone involved, but it's kind of like that. But I, I, but instead of like doing it in like a room around like a round table or whatever, you just get to like do it on Twitter and yet again you get a lot more attention out of it and like yeah the attention economy like sucks like yeah it like fries your brain or whatever but like it's nice to get attention <laughs> it's nice when people are paying attention to you and like if that was not a possibility then like the world would be a completely different place but it is a possibility so like expecting people to like deny themselves the like the feedback loop like the you know like instantaneous positive feedback is really like pointless like obviously people want compliments <laughs> and like if you can like publish a like a i don't know like a short story like um like an au like an alternate universe short story about like i don't know something like harry potter and like you know and like get like a million clicks on that and like thousands of comments like praising your writing why wouldn't you do that instead of like trying to like publish it with a Paris review where maybe like three like stuck up academics would read it and then you know you'd get like hate mail oh yeah that makes so much sense but when you think like there are actually now that you say it there are people I, I I've seen it as recently as like the last year or so um because I very briefly dip my toe back into fandom after one of the uh tv shows that i refuse to name right now happened to end and i got sucked back into it briefly but i Wait, saw was people super, was it supernatural <laughs> yes oh my god i i used to i used to watch it too it's okay <laughs> uh, uh, i just i have no words i really that's that's a that's a whole nother episode <laughs> That's yeah, let's not it. talk. I'm not ready to do that one. Yeah, let's Maybe not like... get into that. But <laughs> I did see people writing fan fiction on Twitter in that they would write it in their like notes app and they would like write four notes app pages worth and that would be a chapter and they would put that all in one tweet and they would have like a tweet thread of the different like chapters and they would intersperse that with... Um, different uh uh like they would photoshop um not so much photoshop but like change the, the names of their contacts in their phone to be the names of the characters and then have their friends send the dialogue and like have pictures of like a group chat in which they like said the things that they said in the fic like so in that way, Ooh. they were able to get instant gratification in that people were quote tweeting everything and like screaming at all the, the plot twists and things like that. And I was just absolutely amazed by the uh, the uh, rapid adaptation of this art form to this new 
form of social media, essentially. That's really interesting. I've never heard of anything like that before. That's cool. I mean, that just makes me think of like, you know, how like every like, I don't know, like a post-woke leftist poet is like constantly writing poetry in the notes app. That's like a trope. And I mean, also like most girls do it. Like I've written poetry in my notes app. Who hasn't? But like, it's just the same thing, but you're like, you're writing like a, what was that ship called? D- D- Dastiel? Dast- whatever. Fanfic. Yeah, <laughs> fanfic in your notes app. It's so funny. That's cute. Um, that actually just made me think of like um, fan art as well. What's your What's your take on fan art? Um, I don't have too much of an opinion on fan art. I that wasn't so much my realm. Um, but I, I do. Well, here's I don't know. I think it's some of the fan art I've seen is like should be in a museum type you know (laughs) honestly but that that usually tends to be for the more serious tv shows with uh older fandoms that i've seen like i've seen absolutely breathtaking fan art for uh the tv show hannibal um but i think that maybe because it explores deeper more serious darker themes and so but you know i'm sure there are other absolute masterpieces from like i don't know my little pony or some shit like that someone has out there <laughs> i'm sure you know someone has demon art <laughs> demon art yes someone has done you know bella swan as the mona lisa absolutely it absolutely is out there but <laughs> Whether or not, I, I don't know. I, I feel like if it's it's all about um, the way the art is presented and whether whether or not it's meant to be consumed by people who are fans of the art of the subject itself, or if it's meant to be. Because I, I think what I said before with the few art pieces, the really really good art pieces that I've seen from like uh, Hannibal show, uh, they were pieces that if you looked at it and you didn't know what it was from, you would still think they were beautiful. So I feel like that may be, you know, cheating in that regard in terms of my opinion on it. Hmm. That's interesting. I think I, I've never... I've never liked fan art. Like I've never seen any fan art that I liked. Um, But I think that has more to do with like my perception of fan art in general, because I think for me, fan art is kind of cheating in a way, which is interesting because I don't think of fan fiction that way, but fan art for me is kind of like, because obviously like when you do a painting, when you do like a digital painting, whatever, you're putting a lot of like time and effort into it. But by doing it about like your favorite character, you're kind of cheating in a sense, because again, you're avoiding the discomfort of having to engage with an unfamiliar theme or like having to create a theme or a context for your work. Because I think modern art or like contemporary art is all about context. And that's the only way you can like tell apart a piece of like a, a piece of contemporary art from like literal trash on the street as by the context that it's presented in. So I think the context of fandom um, or like online fandoms in general kind of doesn't allow for any real artistic progression And so I can't look at it as art. I can only look at it as like 
I don't know, like a doodle, like regardless of how detailed it is, you know, like I just think of it as something drawn for comfort um, instead of something that's like actually been put effort into. Although like I, I'm sorry, go for it. I, I see what you're saying. I do see what you're saying in that regard. And I do agree. However, I think that because there are people who there, I think it's all about going back to the definition of the word artist and what that means to you. And because there are artists who like to draw, but they don't, they're not into art, like concept, like the concept of art, like it's, it's more of a technical thing for a lot of people than I feel like is realized, especially in that, in the, in the realm of, fan art it, yeah I, I think I do agree in that there there's a lack of um, there that people when when, when, the, when fan art is created you yourself have no skin in the game with it like there's no part of yourself really in that so I do I do agree in that regard and I guess most people probably see it as a, a learning tool um, in order in a way that someone can practice and hone their hone their skills without, I guess, getting swept up in the intellectualization of making art. I think. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's. I think you're really right. Because yeah, I remember seeing like stuff on Tumblr that'd be like, you know, like. Um, like somebody would like post like their sketches and then like the final piece of art that like, yeah, it was made like for like some fandom or whatever. And it'd be like, oh, you know, just like practicing or whatever. And then it would be like a beautiful image at the end. But then again, it's like the context of it as a part of a fandom is something that's meant to be consumed as like a comforting piece of like an extension of an already existent universe. I think that kind of like cheapens the effect of it where it's like, but I think also, I think, a lot of the art that is created online in general is very sort of um, fandom-like, even if it's not, if, even if it doesn't belong to any fandom. Like, you know, like all those, like, um, like all those like self-made artists on Instagram that like, don't work with any galleries or anything, but they like sell their posters on Instagram or like Etsy and stuff. And it will always be like a digital drawing of like, I don't know, like a woman with her hair, like blowing in the wind or something. Like it's always like shit like that or like a bird. And it's always like drawn in a particular style that just like, you know, that person like comes from a fandom because it's just like, Disney-fied. <laughs> yeah, no, I I absolutely see what you're saying. You're totally right about that. Um, <laughs> I feel like the the difference may be in that I I don't think I've seen many fan artists in particular who are interested in like legitimizing their work in the same way that. Um, people who write fan fiction are um so i don't know but yeah I, I do agree with that wait there was there was a point that you made that was um it was something about instagram uh, just the, the the art style that you're referring to absolutely i think that is like that does become a hindrance <laughs> because i know exactly which art style you're talking about because it's like 
It's also, you know, all those artists who like do like celebrity portraits on Instagram. Like not anymore, but like a couple of years back, I like um I remember like seeing them all over the internet where it'd be like, you know, like a time lapse video of someone like drawing someone like Cara Delevingne or something. Yeah. Like with her ring, like with her, you know, that photo where she like has like her rings, like her like a finger tattoos and her rings, like she's like showing it to the camera and like, yeah. like, like covers up her face. Like I saw people like draw that thing like so many times on my feed, like all of the time. That just reminded me of what, what you said, the point I had <laughs> that reminded me of it. the way yeah. you said that even art that doesn't have a fandom feels like it is made for a fandom. That is a very interesting form of marketing, I guess, to me, that I've seen addressed most often with writing and different writers nowadays. Um, I forget who it was, but it was this writer on Twitter, and she was essentially saying, like, as a young writer, as an aspiring writer, when you are writing, do not allow your idea of fandom to influence what you're writing and how you're writing it because people are so conditioned to the rules and regulations of fandom that they will yeah alter their writing to be more I guess what's the word to be more easily digested by a wider audience in that they'll stop themselves from making a character truly evil because people like to, uh, they like a character that's slightly redeemable. So they, they're, they're, they're actively when they're writing something, trying to make characters that are shippable and that, you know, I I think that that neuters the creative process quite a bit. So you're, you're very right, right on the money with that one. Thank you. <laughs> but I think, um, no, I, but I think to a certain extent, I mean, people like writers have always done that, right. Where it's like, you need to know your audience. And if you are writing like YA, you know who your audience is and you know, what the kind of things that they like. And at the end of the day, it's like, you still need to like make a living somehow. So like, of course, it's going to influence your perception of how like people like of, of what you should be writing. So people like more people engage with it. and it does make a lot of writing and a lot of like storytelling very formulaic because then you get again like then you get all of these like but then at the same time like if you look at something like like a like a classic rom-com right like everyone knows like a rom-com formula but then like still if rom-coms are good despite the fact that they're very formulaic and now that they're not no longer really being made it's like everyone's missing them so I don't know, maybe on one hand, yeah, it definitely neuters the the creative process, but then on the other, like, I do think there's something beautiful about allowing your art to exist in the context that you have, that developed your perception of what it should be. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think just recently in the last... 15 no 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 like 10 years 10 8 maybe 5 I don't know but in the last few years the last decade we'll say um I definitely feel like it has taken a new way more rigid form um 
in terms of like not even like young adult authors, not even people writing for an audience of teenagers or children, but people feeling like like just TV shows and movies that literal adults are meant to consume that they can't make a character who is super, super flawed and complicated to a certain degree because the audience will no longer be able to. But I mean, everyone wants a villain to have a tragic backstory. Right, right. Things like that. Like the tragic backstory trope is so tried and overdone now. Like it's not even funny. It's like every you know, like it's like you you go to watch a movie and if you know and if there's a villain, like they're they're definitely gonna have to like have a tragic backstory. It's always like, oh, their mother was murdered or whatever. Evil for no reason, please. <laughs> I mean, people have a really hard time reconciling the idea that like some people are just like born evil. You know, it's like the I think I mean it's like the whole like like the the therapy industrial complex <laughs> where it's like not not like you know like anyone who's ever done anything bad they might they must have done it because their parents didn't love them enough or whatever like the idea that like people refuse to believe that anyone would like commit a crime just because like they think it's cool or just because they like don't think about it twice or whatever it's always like oh no it's because they're like poor or because they were abused as a child or whatever like it's never just like oh they're fucked and evil <laughs> which i think in real life is a very you know that's reasonable to you know look into why someone does what they what they do and i think that's great but it in i feel like yeah people have done it a little a little too much um in because i feel like in almost any any form of media the villain is never really really the villain because i don't know if that's meant to be some strange allegory for real life but like the villain is i mean because they always think they're doing whatever they're doing they're doing for what they view to be the common good so you know, right it's a matter of perspective no but i think you're very right in saying that like um all media now tries to like be an allegory for real life because like I talked about it a little bit like on the last episode that I did like the fact that I personally never wanted like a character to have character development I'm never like watching a movie and I'm like oh I wish I knew what this like care this character's like background story is and how they like came to be this way like no I like I want them to just like be a fake person on the screen like I don't I don't want them to be human why would I and it's like I think the fact that media now tries so hard to be a real life and engage with real life as it's being produced like we all know that like you know like HBO writers like look at on, at Twitter all the time when they're like writing their little storylines <laughs> and like 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 directly lift things from Twitter like the succession writers like stealing all those jokes and stuff like it's trying so hard to yeah like be realistic but also like an allegory for real life at the same time like it's trying to be sort of um better than real life and like educational and like ethical in a lot of ways but then also like it's trying to mimic real life in a very like bizarre uncanny valley way 
honestly, I feel like something I wanted to talk about related to things that are really bizarre and in a, in a in the uncanny valley sort of way, bringing it back to Sims. I there are of, of course it's looked at as a life simulation game. However, the different mods that you can download onto the game bring the uncanny valley realism to a really strange level. Um, there are mods to where you can essentially, like there's one where you can simulate hair and nail growth over time so that your sim will literally like visibly age, I guess, and you can see that happening over time. There are ones where you can, you know, put in a realistic banking system and get insurance and have to get a passport and a driver's license. And there are ones where like, it's very realistic with the pregnancy and you have to go to prenatal visits and they're like C-sections and realistic births. And I feel like that is in the realm of like uncanny valley and that it's getting to a point where it's getting a little scary. Interesting. I've just I just know that there's also like a mode for um like heroin addiction and stuff. Oh yeah, that's the, the drugs mod. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Just yeah, like the opioid crisis mode or whatever. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, it is very bizarre. I don't know. It just also makes me think of that like um screenshot of the article that you sent me. <laughs> Like the, the fact that like if if a Sims is a parody, it is a blank parody. Mimic cry with a critical impulse without parodies, ulterior m- motives. I mean, I think that's a really good like summary of what it is, basically. That is just like this thing that was like put into the world and now we like have to deal with the consequences of it. But really it's like not meant to like, I don't know, be funny or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of scary. I find it I find it scary the amount of time that you can spend playing it without realizing it because you know the game goes full screen so you can no longer see and I think that's so insidious but like of course it's just like a regular feature of like video games and stuff for it to go completely full screen so you can't see the time <laughs> and you end up spending hours and hours of your real life playing through these lives that, and I guess that's why like you can do whatever you want and you know if something terrible happens you can just delete it yeah but then I also just think that like I mean you know at the end of the day it's like what's wrong with that like I think it's kind of cool how we get to like <laughs> you know shift realities and like like i don't know like do things like that like i don't i'm, I'm not one of those people who's like oh we should never like play video games or whatever because it's like at the end of the day it's like 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 if you have the time why not do it like is there anything better to do like no not really like all those people like criticizing people who play video games like i'm sorry like are you out there like i don't know like having 10 kids and like I don't know being like the pillar of your community like no you're just like working or like drinking or like hanging out like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what it is that you choose to do with your life guys hear that like we are this podcast is pro reality show you hear that (laughs) 
Yeah, we're pro-reality pro shifting. We're actually pro-fan fiction, pro-video game. I, I don't care, honestly. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> At the end of the day. Just, like, make sure that your brain doesn't get scrambled from all of that stuff. Because, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, like, this is what this podcast is about. It's, like, what Tumblr did to me. So, like, don't let all of that stuff do that to you. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of people came out of it on the other side with some niche skill sets. So I feel like it didn't, it didn't do, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> oh, no, definitely not. I mean, 100% not. It's just, I think it's just, like, Every time you engage with something or every time you allow something to influence you, whether it's a book, a fandom, I don't know, a website or, you know, a social media platform, whatever. Like, I think it's just when you first get into that stuff, you don't realize the effect that it's going to have on you or on your life and your perception of the world in general. And you kind of you think that you can get out of it like unscathed, like completely un untouched but you never really do and like the things that it does to your brain like I'm sure that like even I like really didn't spend that much time like reading fan fiction like the fanfics that I did read definitely did something to my brain like regardless of whether I wanted them to or not it's just like you you can't really you can't really control that but again yeah I don't think it's all bad I think it can be a positive too like there's something charming about just being like a little bit retarded from all of that stuff. Absolutely. And <laughs> that is that I, I feel like <laughs> my brain is soup. It is absolute chicken noodle soup at this point. But <laughs> here I am on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, talking about your pathologies and like, you know, you're running your Instagram account and stuff. And I, I I think it's cool how we all get to like now turn all of our pathologies and like um, mental illnesses into like profit. <laughs> I, I you know <laughs> I, I think that's cool. Like we can exchange it for like social capital. I think that's a good yeah. <laughs> the more insane you are, the more successful you're gonna be on the internet. I mean, that's just, that's just the truth. 